Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. It's always a pleasure to have the Sustainable Finance Podcast conversation with someone who launched their career in this field before the end of the 20th century. Rito Ringer is my guest today, and he is the founder and CEO of Globe Balance, which we will discuss momentarily. But before we do that, let me welcome you to the program, Rito, and give our audience a glimpse of your history in sustainable finance. So welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. you were able to join us today from Zurich, Switzerland, Rito. And you founded SAM Group in 1995, which focuses its efforts on impact-oriented investments. Then in 1999, SAM introduced one of the first stock indexes for sustainable investments in cooperation with the Dow Jones Company. And that index uh, in 2019 celebrated its 20th anniversary. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. In 2008, you sold SAM to the Robico Group, and in November of 2019, S&P Global announced the acquisition of the ESG ratings business from Robico SAM. Last year, in 2020, you launched Globe Balance with the mission of enabling investors to build portfolios of companies that solve global challenges by responding successfully to worldwide megatrends and creating a positive future. So Rito, please share your thoughts on the current status of two of the megatrends mentioned on the Globe Balance site, which are new mobility and livable megacities. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure to do so. And uh, maybe just as an introduction, you have seen that I'm uh, you know, focusing my career since uh, 25 years in the intersection between sustainability and financial markets. And it has been a, a very interesting uh, de development and especially the acceleration of the uh, sustainable investment uh, development quite recently is, is, is quite interesting to, to follow and to be part of uh, as well. So coming back to the megatrends that you have seen on our website, uh, we uh, combine megatrends with sustainability because megatrends will have a very substantial influence in our society and the economy and also on the environment in the next uh, decades. And that's why we combine those uh, with, with sustainability. And uh, sustainability is also converging with uh, digitization. The speed is accelerating uh, very, very rapidly. And uh, uh, beside of that, we have huge challenges with the environment, with biodiversity, with climate, and et cetera. And some of those megatrends will help to find solutions for those challenges. Uh, and the two uh, that you uh, have chosen, new mobility and livable megacities, are very important in that context. Uh, on mobility, uh, you know, that's a huge consumption of, of energy and space. So there are uh, important uh, developments and uh, also investments to make to reduce the consumption of, of energy, especially in the area of fossil fuels, but also to reduce the space that we use for, you know, the consumption of mobility. 
and megacities is also very important because uh, quite soon about two thirds of mankind will live in, in, in so-called megacities, uh, especially in Asia, but also in Africa. Uh, and megacities are also an opportunity to reduce the burden on the planet because uh, we can transport products more efficiently. We can produce them even uh, in, in mega cities. If you think of, uh, you know, vertical farming or, or developments alike. So both uh, of those mega trends are interesting from a sustainability, but also from an investment perspective. So retail, I've read a couple of uh, articles in the past uh, six months or so. So talking about mega cities with the potential in some parts of the world to have as many as 80 million residents living in one city. Uh, I, that's, that's astounding to me, given the current population concentration in our cities. How do you see that unfolding um, as over the next uh, you know, uh, 25 or 30 years, which is what these uh, estimates were for? Yeah, I mean, the trend uh, of people to escape from the countryside and to go to the cities uh, has increased over the last uh, decades. And, and uh, it's also uh, will, will probably uh, increase in the next few decades, uh, mainly because of, of, of food and of jobs that are uh, available uh, you know, in the megacities or, or close to the megacities to compare to uh, where people live today in the countryside and uh, especially in Africa. Uh, there are megacities uh, in, in towns that we have never heard of, but, but uh, you know, especially with uh, climate change as well, uh, where some uh, areas become uninhabitable and also the food production becomes much more uh, challenging. Many, many more people are there, but also in, 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 in Asia, China, the Philippines and so on. Uh, people are moving in those megacities, which is another challenge, uh, you know, for the planners uh, and the rulers of those megacities uh, to organize them in a, in, a, in a more sustainable way. And actually, it's interesting also to see that megacities are, or cities in general are much more agile when it comes to including sustainability uh, you know, actions uh, compared to countries. Uh, so they're much more ahead uh, on those topics than, than a lot of countries because they're more agile and, and, and more uh, from a governance perspective is also, uh, they have a different setup. Okay, good. Well, thanks for those additional comments. Now in the Globe Balance mission statement, you also focus on striving to promote a future-proof and more sustainable form of capitalism. Can you give us more details on your vision of what that might look like in 2030, the year the United Nations has targeted for achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm an economist by education, so I have learned about free markets, about entrepreneurship, and uh, it is really a great concept. Uh, but uh, we have gone uh, too far with that, uh, with that concept and uh, we have to change course and take a new perspective how we organize uh, the, you know, the economy and, and how we organize uh, the value chains and productions and things like that. 
So when I was a student, I have learned uh, in university that are, there are four production factors. Uh, it is land, it is labor, it is capital, and it is entrepreneurship. And uh, we were also told that there were uh, free goods, uh, like nature, lakes, sea, air, and so on. So as an entrepreneur, we learned that we can use the free goods for free. And we have done that uh, extensively. And that has led us uh, close to collapse. So I think uh, we need uh, a new model for how we organize the, the markets. And uh, it probably uh, can be a combination of free markets, of entrepreneurship, but within the acceptance of, of uh, you know, natural uh, borders. And that would also include that we have to give the so-called uh, free goods uh, we have to give them a price because prices are kind of the blood of, of the markets. And so if we price free goods, then they will become a value. And uh, that has not happened so far. It's slowly coming with, with, with taxation of, of uh, fossil fuels, of carbon, uh, giving that the price. So I think that that would be one element of, of, a, new, uh, of a new model. But in addition, I think we also have to uh, have an ethical basis and to have some common values, how we organize those mar markets, because at the same time, we are facing a completely new area because of digitization that will bring a lot of opportunities, but also uh, of challenges. And I think... Uh, what is very important uh, is that we also take a, a much longer uh, perspective when it comes to economic uh, uh, decisions. Uh, maybe I, if you have time, I can tell you a very short story about the pitch that we had to do for a, for a pension scheme. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. So there was this pension scheme uh, in the UK, uh, and it was the uh, pension scheme of the universities. And they did a pitch where they uh, asked for a proposal for the next 20 years. So they were asking for an investment proposal, not for uh, one or two or three years uh, investment horizon, but for 20 years. And they also uh, announced that they would uh, like to have different proposals that, that they were uh, getting uh, traditionally. And so we as an asset manager were, were uh, you know, uh, building up a proposal, and it was very interesting because we had a time frame of 20 years. We came to very different conclusions than with traditional, uh, you know, portfolios that only have a time frame of maybe one or two or three years. And that really, uh, we learned that if you have another a longer time perspective, you also will will uh, take uh, different decisions. You will take different benchmarks. And I think that is what is also very important that we have a much longer uh, time horizon when we uh, organize our economy. Yeah, that's a great example, Rito, because I was recently speaking with a fixed income sustainability uh, asset manager uh, who, was, yeah. who was really upset about the fact that duration for bonds, green bonds, sustainability bonds, climate bonds, et cetera, are, uh, uh, is going to be a factor uh, during the, the next decade uh, when bonds are issued for 20 to 30 years, but we are expecting significant impacts uh, environmentally 
um, across the globe within the next 10 years. Uh, so I, I know that that's a big concern for asset managers and I'm glad to hear that in the UK, uh, there are universities that are, that are looking for that kind of time horizon. And just yeah. in general, isn't it also true that uh, in, the, in Europe and the UK, uh, you, in terms of planning for long-term sustainability and climate risk, you're maybe five to 10 years ahead of us in the US. Would you say that that's accurate? Uh, yep. I mean, I don't know how many years we're ahead because the world is moving so fast, but uh, I think we are ahead. And what is interesting is, is you know, that in the United States, uh, you have a very different approach uh, to sustainability than, than we have in Europe. And what, what I have learned is that in the U.S., in the business world, uh, you know, you're very competitive and you're not including a longer term perspective uh, as we do in, the, in, in Europe, but you have a very strong tradition uh, in foundations uh, and, and, and you dedicate or, or people dedicate uh, huge amounts of wealth uh, with their foundations in sustainability uh, areas. So take Bill Gates as an example. So he's a very tough business uh, man uh, in the business. But on the other side, when it comes to his foundations, he has a very different perspective. Uh, in Europe, we have a more holistic perspective also that companies uh, not only uh, you know, maximize the shareholder value, but they also include uh, other, other stakeholders in, in, in the business model. And I think that's, that's a very interesting uh, you know, comparison uh, between Europe uh, and, uh, and the US. Yes, I, I know a lot of sustainability finance professionals who would like to see us be in the US a little bit less focused on the tax advantages of things like foundations and more focused on how the investments within those foundations are performing and being allocated from a sustainability focus. But that's another, that's another problem yeah. in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So Rito, please tell our listeners about your firm's analysis and information tool, the Globe Balance Footprint, that provides transparent information about the impact of each investment. Yeah. So, I mean, the origin of that was a, a TED talk that I heard from a guy in a consumer or in a textile business, and, and he was producing T-shirts uh, and sweatshirts, and he said, my sweatshirts have to talk. Uh, they have to talk where they come from. And I was listening to him and, and thought, uh, you know, coming out of the investment world, I thought, hmm. That's true. An investment portfolio should talk. An investment portfolio should say what its impact is and, and what it's doing beside of uh, generating financial returns for society and for the environment. And that's when the idea came up uh, to create a tool that we later on then called Footprint, uh, where investors could see the, the footprint, the impact of their uh, portfolio uh, on three dimensions, uh, on the dimension of the economy, on the dimension of society and on the dimension of the environment. So we measure the impact, the footprint of every investment, uh, whether it's uh, an equity or a bond or, or uh, uh, also gold as, a, as an example on those three dimensions. 
And within those three dimensions, I mean, on the economy, uh, our interest is what is the impact of a company on markets and infrastructure? Does a company contribute to the infrastructure of, a, of an economy? Uh, another dimension is the labor market. Uh, and uh, and the, the third aspect is, uh, you mentioned that before, the tax strategy. So do they tax where they produce the business or do they escape taxes? So those are things that we find interesting from an economic perspective. On society, we also take uh, the burning uh, topics from a, a global perspective, which is uh, impact on nutrition, impact on health, and impact on, on education and knowledge. Uh, and then on the environment, we are looking for what is the impact on biodiversity, what is the impact on climate and on water. And uh, on those uh, factors, we have developed specific criteria for every sector. And, and, and that's then what we apply for companies. And so we give every portfolio a footprint score. So investors have a, have a feeling uh, how they score. Uh, you also can see the score for an S&P 500 as a benchmark or for a global index, just to uh, see where you score as, with your individual portfolio. I see. Okay, so now let's talk about the Globe Balance World Portfolio Analysis. Uh, I think you've been describing part of it already, which allows investors to compare the climate impact of their portfolio companies to industry standards, uh, as you mentioned, like the S&P 500. As I understand the process, the warming potential of a portfolio is based on a methodology developed by MSCI Carbon Delta, and it's designed to test portfolio alignment against a two degrees centigrade long-term climate stabilization scenario. So give our audience some additional details on how this process actually works when you're comparing portfolios. Yeah, so what we, what we see is that sustainability and sustainability investing is, is a very complex uh, topic and sometimes uh, not so easy to understand for investors. So we wanted to develop a tool where investors can compare uh, their portfolios. So if you think of, of, let's say, also Netflix or Spotify, they also have portfolios. Uh, they have portfolios of music or they have portfolios of movies. And they have understood to communicate those portfolios in an easy way to their uh, audience. So we wanted you to do the same uh, with investments to communicate in a very understandable way where you are invested. So we have created kind of a Google Earth for, for investors. And that is what the Globalance world is all about. It's, 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 a, it's a globe. You can really uh, browse it. You can go to every country and you will see uh, the impact of your portfolio on the planet, on the countries. And uh, we have uh, three uh, dimensions. Uh, we have the dimension of the climate impact. Uh, of the of the footprint that I mentioned before, but also uh, of the uh, megatrends in which megatrends are you invested. So it gives you an answer uh, to what degree your portfolio contributes to the uh, global warming, and uh, you can see your temperature of your portfolio. 
So uh, S&P 500, as an example, has a temperature of 2.8 degree of global warming potential. And then you can compare your portfolio against those indices and uh, also do that on, the, on a company level where you can see, you know, what is the global warming potential of Tesla, of uh, McDonald's, uh, of ExxonMobil and, 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 and uh, you know, alike. Uh, so it's it's a very easy tool and it, it makes really uh, a very understandable experience for the investor. I especially like the graphics of that tool, Rito, because it uh, you know it uh, it gives a gives a visual uh, image uh, of of climate change and global warming as well as a factual uh, and and data detailed image, and I think that's very helpful. For, for yeah. people like myself, anyway, who are uh, visual learners, so it's a it's a very nice tool, uh, and I yeah. think it's very helpful to investors to understand how their portfolio is actually participating uh, in climate change. Now, yeah. the pace of change in sustainable finance and investment, and the demand for portfolio materiality measurement standards continues to accelerate. We were talking about this a little bit earlier, Rito. Many investors and financial advisors are struggling to find an entry point for participating in this megatrend within the investment industry itself. So as a pioneer in this part of our industry, what advice do you have for those investors and advisors at this time? Oh, that's a good question. So, I would say first, uh, be aware that uh, this is here to stay. Uh, this is not, you know, a short-term uh, trend. It's not something you can uh, use in marketing. This is a very substantial development. It's a mega trend. Uh, it will accelerate, uh, and uh, we still have some climate deniers. Uh, so I think, as a as a participant in financial markets. Uh, this is really something you need to take very serious. I would say five years ago, maybe only 1% of, of all global assets have been uh, according to sustainability criteria. Uh, at least in Europe, I think in five years, 95% of all portfolios will be attached to sustainability. And that's a very, very substantial shift in a relatively short uh, period. So I think you really have to take that very serious. Second, I think uh, as a supplier in the industry, you have to decide, you know, what role do we want to play here? Do we want to be leading? Do we want to be following? Do we want to be a, a late mover? Uh, because that will frame your strategy in that, in, in that area. Uh, and uh, there are very, very few leaders. Uh, we have a late, uh, many, many late movers and, and a few followers. And I think that will be very important uh, also from a, from a regulatory perspective, at least uh, also here in Europe, we have a lot of regulation around that, uh, you know, that you can comply with this and, 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 and at least have a, an active role. Uh, and the third one is, is, is really, you know, what is our positioning? Why does our company exist and what role do we play uh, in that respect? And the fourth element, which is very crucial, is, is really you have to walk the talk. Uh, this is not about marketing and about uh, giving great speeches. It's really to walk the talk. Uh, and 
it is a long walk and uh, actually people will watch you very closely, whether you are sticking to your, uh, let's say, uh, promises, not only to con the customers, but also your employees. So I think, you know, I see that with the younger generation, they are looking at the uh, purpose of a company more and more. That was not the case uh, some 20 years ago, but these days, if people apply for a job, they're also looking, you know, what is the purpose of this company? So I think it's, it's very important as well. Yes, I agree with you. And I see all of my conversations with younger people wanting either in or wanting to get into our industry reflect that as well. Now, I wish yeah. we had more time for our conversation today, <clears throat> but we're just about out, Rito. So thanks again, Rito Ringer, founder. You're welcome. And CEO of Globe Balance. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.